like this is why I never want to change what we do. I want to. I want to. Like I think I went too far last night. So I'm glad that we're not yeah. putting it out there. <laughs> it was. It was. Guys, it was nuts. <laughs> friends, it was nuts. friends, it was nuts. Luke was nuts. literally was... called me afterwards. He's like, "Hey," he sent me a text. "Hey, can we chat?" And I was like, "Yeah, hey, Luke, what's up?" And he goes, "Hey, I was just thinking, uh, maybe we don't like we gotta edit out some of that beginning stuff." And I'm like, "Yeah, Luke, I'm gonna edit out everything that's not Dave and Vickle. <laughs> like, we're gonna just cut it down. <laughs> we're gonna cut it. It's out. gonna be Dave telling and... hilarious stories as a bouncer. How he put three yeah. skinheads in the hospital. Like, yeah. yes. Oh, oh, wait, Dave's audio didn't me... record. Oh. <laughs> All that we have is just like I'm Luke going, and the problem with bleep 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 and his bleep bleep bleep. <laughs> um, Luke named the it, names. I named very many names. <laughs> um, it it had been it had been building for years. Um, <laughs> I may have talked about it last night when we may or may not have recorded a special podcast that apparently no one will hear, which is heartbreaking. Luke, it is literally heartbreaking. When we got done and he said, oh, it's not uploading. I'll find the MP3 file. It's somewhere. I was like, oh, don't tell me. We lost Dave Van Vickles. Incredible two and a half hour show. Mm -hmm. And you know what this means, Luke? You know what this Mm -hmm. means? Me and you are going to have to spend even more of Catching Fox's money. And we're going to have to get a subscription to that one company that records both ends and does. I know. I know. <laughs> what just happened? Did, did one of the UFOs just attack you? It did. It did. I have a, I have one of these IKEA lights behind my monitor because it's not. I mean, like otherwise, it's up here over my head, and I don't like it. Are you a single girl in 2012? And am I hitting on you right now? Is that what's going on? Because you have one of those things in your room. Hey, be nice. <laughs> 2012 was actually kind of a bad year for me in dating. I really didn't date anyone that, that year. Oh, I'm sorry, Luke. So girls oh, were left true. safe is really what you're saying. That's not true. I broke up with that one girl, and then she, and she went nuts. What one girl? She whose name we do not speak? No. Oh. Uh, you never met this other girl, but like everyone else did because she came to meet to Brian Kissinger's wedding. Oh, God. And my sister's wedding. So she's in like this scrapbook that, that, that Emily has. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love ex-girlfriend impacts on your life that lasts your life. Me and Shannon, okay, okay, case in point, me and Shannon were having a conversation this morning with Katiri. And we were, okay, so not to be horrible, but we were talking about Dave's interview last night and Amber's cancer situation. And me and Shannon were talking about, you know, different things that kind of happen in life. And I said, you know, I will never forget, and I've shared this on the show like way back when, I will never forget when Annie... Q Luke. Hey, Miguel. I'm oh, sorry. Is. Sorry. Come on. The one time I didn't. Oh, I my God. I set it up. When... I was too busy eating this great 365 Whole Foods on the market orange raid pop up. <laughs> I'm a five year old. <laughs> sorry. No, when Annie took, uh, she was a social work major and she took death, dying, and bereavement. And, hey, Miguel. and so I said, thank you. And uh, I said, so. Hey, Bob. And she used to have to go to like, hospices and intensive care like and watch social workers tell people your parents are dying you know say goodbye you know to have to deliver the bad news and they would they would be there like learning how to do this stuff and learning how to work with people afterwards and and i was like oh my gosh that's so dark i said okay annie after seeing all this how how do you want to die and she goes seeing all the different people emergency rooms intensive care hospice i want to die of cancer being dragged out over like 
years. And I was like, what? What? That sounds like the worst way to go. I want to go quick. And she goes, no, you don't. I've seen going quick. And she said, and it devastates the family more because, like, so, you know, we have a friend who listens to the show who lost his wife. And many people remarked how calm and composed he was at his wife's own funeral. Mm -hmm. And his response was, Mm -hmm. I've been at peace with this. I've been grieving her death for months with her. And yeah. I and and like yeah. stuff like that, like it really shakes you and it really hits you, and I, and it's like this reality that you accept. And she said the most important thing is you get to make amends with your like adult children that maybe you've been estranged, maybe you wronged. You can ask for forgiveness, mm-hmm. but also it puts your life in very sharp contrast. Like I, you know, remember your death kind of thing. It's like okay, I have three to six months or whatever it might be. And she said the saddest thing is when people have less than a week. And it's like sudden, you know? And she said, everyone in the room, no one who's American knows how to talk about death and live the reality of death. And she goes, and they are the loneliest people on the face of the earth. They are laying in bed, dying, and the people that come and visit I've heard them, that. Yeah. I've she heard said, that from, yeah. They're so uncomfortable. No one will either. Like, she's like, I've seen families not make eye contact because they don't know how to talk about it. And so they do that thing where they just kind of grab their hand and shake it or rub it and say, hey, it's going to be okay. You're going to pull out of this, and no one will say the word death. You're dying. I love you. I'm going to miss you. And they're so afraid that the people die alone, even if people are in the room with them. Like, they're not allowed to talk about it. And that's why Last Rites is so powerful, and Anointing of the Sick is so powerful. Why? I mean, I know what you're getting at, but I want to hear you unpack that. Well, okay. So, I mean, like, the very heart and soul of Last Rites being a part of Anointing of the Sick is I am preparing you for death. I'm not pretending like, oh, you're going to get better. It's, it's like, yeah. this is coming. This, this is, is coming. coming. Let's face it together. And here, ah, and here interesting. is bread for the journey. Like the church, like, uh, you remember when Lazarus, the story in, in the raising of Lazarus, um, where he was, uh, so Jesus called out, you know, Lazarus come out. He comes out of the tomb and then Jesus commands his, you know, the apostles or whoever was there to untie him. Like, that's the role of the church. Like, we are there with our brothers and sisters when people die. And, you know, we're there in accompanying them in the midst. Of, like, this is the most, like, the word accompaniment has been so abused. But I can't think of a better way to accompany someone than at the hour of their death. Or at least on that way. And the fact that the Eucharist given to souls in last rites is called viaticum, bread for the journey. Like, it's what Lambus bread is patterned after in Lord of the Rings. Like Lambus, this is like it really is a profound confrontation uh, with with like your mortality. You will die. I will die. Can can you go through like real quick, uh, real quick? Uh, what happens <laughs> Answer, when you no. get last rites? <laughs> well, I mean, the, the basics is right. You're th- there's a certain set of prayers for the anointing of the sick that is given to those. You know, it used to be called extreme unction, the, you know, kind of the last rites. But there's a certain set of prayers that is given to the soul at the near the hour of death, and then on top of that, you have confession and you have um, confession, absolution, and holy communion. Right? I don't. I've never been a part of last rites. I don't know. My grandfather barely came back to the church before he died. While he was in hospice care, he came back to the church, so I, that, which was really cool for me. But um, Mercy. yeah, so I, I you know, uh, I've I've never done that. But um, but that's the difference between like a general anointing of a sick and anointing of a sick with last rites. 
And it's interesting. So this kind of ties into our topic today, which we're just going to kind of dive into because, again, we recorded for about three hours last night. Yeah. So the good people, you need to understand, three hours. Three hours. Yeah. And it was was, good. The first 20 minutes is an explicit tirade for me against people. The first 20 seconds, (laughs) Luke came on, dropped every other word was an F-bomb. And I'm like, oh, God, I better hit record. I'm like... I did. I so there's there is a file in there that says um, Lucas. So what happened was I I uh, at one point in time somehow I unplugged my microphone. So when you do that, QuickTime stops. Yeah. So there's Luke one and then Luke two and like Luke and you were talking, so I was able to kind of um seamless. Like, oh, nice. Um, no one can tell, but Luke one is the explicit tirade, which <laughs> maybe we'll put up on Patreon or something, or who knows? Um, um maybe some horrible things will happen again, and we'll use it. Um. Ugh. But the other topic that I wanted to, to bring up yesterday, which we we didn't get to at all, and and that's I'm fine, are the, are the sacraments and the good. And when I say the good, I'm referring to the true, the good, and the beautiful. Are the you good? Sure, you don't mean there. me flexing my biceps. No, no, because that's I mean compared to Dave's last last oh night, which God. did things to my body when I saw that <laughs> um, weird, confusing, conflicting things. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, um. No, no, no! It, it like uh, no, you're you don't have muscles. Um, it's true. What was my point? No, no, like, the, the, and I think it's funny. I think so. so I would like to kind of compare now that you have brought this up. Yeah. You know, last rites, confronting death, the sacraments as they help, as they elevate and as they heal, which is what they do. Compare that with the sacrament of marriage because we had. Uh, oh, I never, I tried to pay attention to how he pronounced his last name, and I keep forgetting. I'm a horrible friend. I know, like, no one's last last name. <laughs> Poor Alex. Oh, um, Alex at, from... Like, Alex and Emily's wedding. No, and it just... So the, the, the homily during during that wedding was really cool. And he, he was talking about the... Um, uh, one of the passages I'm referring to, I wasn't paying attention a lot to the passages, but at one point in time during the passage, Sarah Rogers, she leans over me and goes, you're not paying attention, are you? <laughs> and I was just like, ah, no, not at all. <laughs> um, but it was funny because, like, everyone hadn't seen each other in a, in, in a while. At least I hadn't seen anyone, so there was a lot of, like, talking during Mass, like little comments and stuff because everyone's just so happy to be around each other. Yeah. Um, but uh, the the priest homily, he was talking about the the image of the I believe it was of the new Israel and how you had like um waters and trees and how it like was giving everyone new life was um, was coming and comparing that to the sacrament and it just it all kind of like hit me because I was kind of not in like a bad spot but I was just in like a just like a rough a really um rough spot and um, I was excited to go to the wedding and I was like you know I think it's going to be really healing because it is a sacrament and it's people that I love, and it's just going to be really good just to be around that for for a bit. It's kind of my first really, really big uh, post-COVID event, if you will. Hmm. And it was. And, it, and and that homily, the idea of like this, of it being this life-giving, kind of comparing it to when we, talk, when we talked about atonement and this cleansing thing, What's what really hit me was not how beautiful the wedding was, though it was. Emily had like this, like, I mean, her branding strategy for this wedding was fantastic. The fonts matched everything. Oh, the so font beautiful. for the parking sides for the for the parking signs to your name to your like name things to like the on the program it all matched. I was like, Emily, this is this is the best looking wedding I've seen in a long time. Crushed it. I love it. A lot of like white space on on the program and whatnot. Um, 
Oh, well, dang it. I have these funny jokes, then I lose my point, which is why I'm a terrible podcaster and no one should listen. You guys have heard us talk about I'm a BetterHelp before at length, and we're going to talk about Better, that's H-E-L-P, again. Listen, BetterHelp can help you get hooked up with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start um, communicating with one in less than like 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional um, counseling done uh, securely online. Look, guys, God wants you to find um, a healing. God um, wants you to be the person he created He create you to be. BetterHelp is committed to um, a facilitator great therapeutic um, matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed it is more of affordable than traditional offline counseling and this is cool financial aid is available so um, better help wants you to start i'm um, living a um, happier life today go to their website read all all of the testimonies that are on there posted daily and guess what guys Go to BetterHelp.com slash Foxes. That's BetterHelp.com slash Foxes. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in, in all 50 states. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. And Catching Foxes listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash Foxes. So if you go to BetterHelp.com. You will get 10% off your first month. That is fantastic. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring yet another episode of everyone's favorite podcast, Catching Foxes. It really hit me how it was actually really good. Yeah. So it wasn't just it wasn't just a, on a beautiful event. Of course, it was a true thing that was going on, them getting married, the, the, the sacramental aspect. Again, the sacraments being a thing of how God only uses to draw, draw us and I'm closer to him and all this stuff and how he sanctifies us and, and how grace of the sacraments, how it elevates and heals. I was like, holy crap, this is going to be a great podcast on topic. And it, uh, and it just really hit me the more I thought about how it's a very good experience. And when we talk about the true, the good, and the beautiful, or the beautiful, the, the good, and the true, we tend to emphasize the true and the, the beautiful, but not the good. And the experience, and I think one of the best arguments for the Christian faith is the experience of the good in the sacraments. Mm. And I think when you take this, like when you take last rites, this thing where you confront your mortality, you confront yeah. the fact that you are going to die, and you go to confession and you receive the Eucharist for the last time, and you pray these prayers of like, "This is it. Yeah, I'm done. Yeah, my journey has ended." What a profound thing! That's like, I don't know. If, I mean, in its own way, it it like is beautiful. But I think what's really intense about it is that it's a, it's a really good thing, especially if you're if you're in if you're in a if you are in a I'm a state of grace, and you, I'm assuming if you've been to a confession, you know you like actually mean it and whatnot. But so I I just think the good is so often forgotten about. But I, that's kind of not the not not on one of the most powerful parts. But for me this past weekend it was, and when I think about. Um, just last rites and that idea of like what a good thing to do yeah like i i don't mean like yeah. oh that's real. i mean like what a good yeah i mean good in the most profound sense of the word now i'm done <laughs> yeah you know i think there is in a lot of ways because goodness often is predicated to morality that for a lot of people we don't talk about it in the catholic church because 
it's almost like uh, moral judgmentalism, haranguing people for not being good enough. Like, at least those who advocate for the for the way of beauty, one of the things that like Bishop Aaron will say is, you know, it's you know when you lead with the good, right? The moral arguments and all that stuff. Some people can be put off. So you lead with the beauty. No one's put off by beauty, and it challenges you. But that being said, he would talk See, about. That's funny. The, that's not how I would view the good, though. Right. Well, I mean, right, right, right. But that's what he's saying. But, uh, like but a I, lot I, of I'm people do saying, that. Though. Yeah. But then he said, but then you see the beautiful life of someone like Mother Teresa who lives for the good of others. And, you know, that's transformative. People encountered her and they did not leave the same. Do I have the wrong definition of good then? No. Because I feel like he's talking good about an intellectual argument. No, no, no. He's talking I'm, about I'm morality. Talking about the, the, Mora- so, like, okay, okay. truth as it applies, applies to intellect, goodness as it, as it applies to your will, like loving, right? The, the ultimate realization of the good is to love. But is that the actual um, definition of the good in that sense? Oh, Luke. So what you am just I said is a beautiful philosophical uh, rabbit hole because the good cannot really be defined instead of that which is attractive that which is desirable but that's but like so, yeah. okay so that's what i'm getting at yeah. is that there's something this happened at my wedding yeah. on multiple time aaron's dad yeah. um this other guy that i really like uh aaron's uncle um so the guy that i really like like um it was actually like a lot of the like older men who were there that i really who said like wow you have a such a great they, like, they um commented like a multiple times, what a great group of friends you. Yeah, have. what a yeah. great wedding this is. Yeah, like the communal aspect of like my friends from Denver, my friends from Idaho, my friends from California, all of my friends from college, which was the best part. Uh, <laughs> it's um, like the good take of that, that Peter Zelinsky. Vibrant. What I said, take oh, that Peter Zelasco. Zelasco, <laughs> I don't know his name. Oh, Peter's the best. He is. Um, he is. It. Uh, it's. Like that experience, that, that there's like an attractiveness to yeah. it that's not not in a, like a sexual way, but in, in a. <laughs> Your friends are good. They're real good. They're like real. Like they're hot. They're hot. They are so hot. Like like I kind of uh, I need a minute. Yeah. Um, can I have Gomer's phone number? <laughs> answer yes. You can seven one three. But it uh, that's like like that's what I'm and I just like just being at this wedding, being around these um, people for my soul, being with Aaron, having them finally meet Everly, yeah, was like and just like the fact that it was a sacrament that was um, bringing us all there was so good, yeah. Like it was such a good, and, and I don't even mean like oh this is good for the pe- people to see in an evangelization sense. I mean just for me as a person to experience that, I walked away a better person. Because of it, yeah, I love. Like I, I, I love weddings like that. I love encounters like that, right? Where it's like unmistakably, irrefutably, undeniably, but also unspeakably. Like it's hard to get people to understand. Like, well, what was so good about it? Was, were they really awesome at the instruments during the wedding mass? It's like it has nothing to do with the music. It was good. It was so good, and that stuff helps. Like it certainly helps, but, but it's it, not it, that. You know, it's not any of know, those and, one things. You know. And it's like a, it's a, it's a tiny it's a tiny like so they had they had these cocktails that they were named after their I'm a family member so oh, they had that's cute. two types of cocktails and they were really good I was drinking the um whiskey sour one pretty much the whole night I had like five drinks in like three hours it was great it was so good um, I was like wait there's uh, they're playing the weekend we can't go and then I was taking Everly there and she was just like she once eight thirty hit Everly was done and that's when the music 
began, and I've got her on the dance floor trying to dance to "Blinded by the Light" by by the, <laughs> by, by the weekend. And every time I would be by I'm a Sarah Rogers, I would go, um, "Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend," like that because of that <laughs> one meme. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but it. You know, and, and that, and I, so compare that to. I also have a funny story that I, I, I will update in a bit. Compare that to Last Rite, right? Where the good in that is this fact that you are confronting this thing that is about to happen and you can freely enter, not freely, for, no, no, you can't freely enter into it. Yeah. I'm, I've accepted yeah. the fact, I know that this is happening, I'm here. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do but accept and face the fact that that like um, that um, that um, this is about to happen. And how profoundly good is that? Yeah. Especially when there are other people that are involved in that can see that. Yeah, I think they're absolutely right. If you have a chance to do last rites and you know that's going on, I was very upset that my dad. I wish my, I wish my dad could have had that. Now he had, we did do a little special prayer thing after the fact. But yeah, my favorite thing, like I love Catholic funerals. I love Catholic weddings and I love Catholic funerals. And if you can understand what's happening in those moments, like it's not just about our grief, although you own it. It's not just about the story of the loved one and the impact he had on everyone's life, although that's a part of it. It ends up getting caught up in this sweeping act of worship of the God of the universe. Like, I don't understand, I, I, and obviously it's because I'm a Catholic and I love my Catholic faith, but I don't understand brides and grooms who don't want to make the Eucharist the center of their nuptials, or people who are have to bury their you know loved ones and not want to put the Eucharist at the center of it. Like It's not to say there aren't reasons why someone wouldn't want to do that, and again, I'm not judging anyone out there if you didn't do that. But what I'm saying is, like, the church doesn't offer, I mean, the church does offer just nuptials, but the idea of it is, like, the fullness of a wedding is in the context of the holy sacrifice of the mass. How cool is that? And it just, to me, it's just such a game changer. And then when when I go to certain funerals where people are not, they're, like, non-denominational, what makes it special is how, like, lovingly sentimental they can make it. Right, so they play the deceased one's favorite songs, and they tell fun stories that keep the memory alive, which is all good and all you know things that we do as Catholics, you know, as Irish Catholics with a you know bottle of booze before or after the funeral. But the uh, like during the liturgy, like their life is caught up into the divine into the theodrama, right? Like I love that. Yeah, and I well, and this is kind of um, to bring it back to some of the things that. W- were making me quite angry. Um, one of the things I loved about the uh, l- last Catholic stuff episode about uh, about Unlimited Balthasar and Hope is that, like, that's I, I haven't read Ought We to Hope might be the better trans translation, dum, but dum, dum. Uh, I haven't read Dare We to Hope, so I'm basing this off of off of on what they said. But that um, who's they the Catholic stuff you should know they, yeah yeah okay. like that we have hope and that if you have a so, okay so there was so I one of the worst um one death that was pretty hard for me was I had a student who died three days after I left Idaho oh that's or like so three hard. days after I finally moved to Denver yeah, yeah. it was really really bad or no I'm sorry it was, I think it was three weeks it was really really bad and so he died he he was a great and I 
freaking called it, and I hate the fact that I called it because he was acting. He was just kind of being an idiot at the end of his senior year. And I told um I told um Rick, who was uh in my wedding, he's one of my uh, good buds from Idaho. I was like, man, he's the kind of like, and th- so it was a thing in Idaho for for like a while. And this is like small town yeah. as, as it gets, where every um summer one graduating um kid would die in like a car crash or something because they would drink too much, and they would drive, and um, something bad would happen. Yeah. You got these, you know, crazy roads and stuff, and people were being dumb, and and it hadn't happened in a while. But I was, but I was, I'm like hearing about, it, and we were really, I'm frustrated I'm with this kid. His, uh, his, um, his name was Justin, and I told Rick like that's the kind of choices that like cause this stuff, that stuff to happen. Yeah, the things that he's doing, and then three, like about a month after I made that comment, it happened. Ugh, you don't want. And it, that. I mean. And it, Maybe a little bit. I'm longer than a month. I really don't. I really don't. I really don't remember. But basically, um, what had happened was they were in this. They were in this truck, and they were at like a bonfire up on t- up on top of like a. I mean, it's kind of a mountain, but not like a huge mountain, but um, a mountain though. And they're like on the side of it, and they drank, and they decided to drive back, and they drank too much, and the car and the car had um, gone off the road and got to a horrible um, like they, so the yeah. so the truck it crashed and they were stuck and the truck was on, like on fire. And so we don't know. Exa- I don't know exactly how they died. I, have, I haven't read any of the things about like I've read about like what happened, but not what actually caused their deaths. If they were asphyxiated or what, but like you know, there could have been a chance that they were alive while it was happening. And yeah. you know, it's just horrible, hor- hor- I mean, horrible. And they were all like just grad- kids who had just graduated from high school or were relatively young, you know, eighteen, nineteen years old, maybe I'm twenty. Um, you know, because they're because they're all I'm drinking on this on this hill, this mountain, because they can't they can't go to a bar, kind of a thing. Yeah. So the priest um, at the funeral said, like, he basically brought up the fact, like, this didn't have to happen, but we still have hope because we don't know, like, this didn't have to happen, but it but it did, and so um, what is God going to do? Like, we we don't I don't know what happened to Justin after he died. I don't know. Um. But like we still like, but like it doesn't change the fact that we still, we still pray that we still pray for him, and we still confront the fact that like we do the funeral mass, we do all the stuff because we don't know, and we want to entrust him to, to to God, and there's a goodness to that, to the mercies of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a real good, and like there's a real. I think that the comfort of that is in the good because like you don't really know the truth per se in the sense of you don't know what's happened you don't know where his soul is you don't know you don't you don't know and so what are you left with this good thing that um you can do where you can hope in god's mercy and trust and just beg you know you don't know and i um to me that's real life that's reality and i think quite often people get obsessed with the truth and it just leads to either um, sentimentality yeah. or weird um like your taylor marshall stances your like ralph martin stuff that he was saying about balthasar just this like kind of obsession with um facts and the knowledge as opposed to i mean to be honest reality who was saying that that was what Father John Neppel was saying, and I'm I'm kind of go, I'm going a little bit not not like um deeper I'm I'm putting okay. my own thoughts on it okay. but yeah 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 and I'm, I'm I don't want to I don't want to he 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 may not agree with everything that I just said but this is as I as I understood it and I has as I have been um, as I have been um, processing that and it's 
it's tough because it's really only for the most part. But like even even in weddings, though, like try to th- I'm gonna think about it um this way. Like I assume that Alex and Emily meant their vows. <laughs> that they weren't lying, yeah, that yeah. they were in a place where they could actually do that. I don't know that. I don't know that. I don't know the truth of the validity of their, of like, you know, their marriage. Yeah. I hope it is, but I don't know. It's not, it's not my job to know. Yeah. It might be, is it? I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, I would say this. So for, for those of you who, you know, don't follow this stuff, and I actually try not to follow this stuff, but, um, Bishop Barron gave a homily that brought down the ire of those who believe he's a universalist, that all will be saved. Bishop Barron, his thoughts are a little bit different than Hans Urs von Balthasar, but he draws most from that. In this particular homily, he was drawing on Lumen Gentium 16, which I have taught many a time to my various RCIA and inclusion classes because people always ask. But have you read it? Yeah, Yes, <laughs> dozens of times. But people always say, "How? well, if people have never heard of Jesus, can they be saved? And so what's the answer? Well, the church says, yes, they can be saved. But it's not like they're automatically saved because they have this invincible ignorance about Jesus. You know, if you've never heard of Jesus, can you be held accountable for never having heard Jesus? There are some fundamentalist Protestants that say, yes, you will be condemned to hell for all eternity because if you really, really believed or wanted to believe, then God would intervene in some miraculous way. And, uh, you know, it's kind of shocking that someone would hold such a view, but, I mean, it's not without examples in Catholic history. But at the same time, the Roman Catholic Church has always held, you cannot be liable for that which you don't know, because then you're not choosing the evil. At the same time, the church lays out some pretty specific guidelines as to how those of other faiths who, through no fault of their own, right, what we call invincible ignorance, can be saved. And the idea is they can't have heard the gospel and rejected it or rejected it, and, you know, it's truth. But at the same time, whatever grace God is working in their lives, they have to respond to it. They have to be, it's not just that they're good enough people. It's that outside of the, the visible confines of the Catholic church, there has to be God's grace active in your life. And you are saying yes to God's grace. Now, C.S. Lewis has this great line. He was kind of what you call an inclusionist, but he would see that um like in the famous story at the um the last battle in uh the chronicles of narnia series the the world ends right uh narnia ends and there at the end of narnia is uh a guy named emet and emet is a tashbanite or whatever the guy the evil god's name and he's sitting there and he's there in in the heavenly narnia and aslan comes up to him and he's like what am i doing here i didn't worship you at all and he goes yeah you did Whenever you worship Tash, I drew you, and you responded to every truth in that religion that corresponded more to me than it did to your thing. So basically, C.S. Lewis has this belief that those lost in their pagan religions, God can use those religions to, to pull them away as a preparation for the gospel. Hey, everyone. Gomer here, and I want to talk to you about a wonderful podcast called Pints with Jack. Pints with Jack strives to discover the truth and beauty of Christianity through the lens of C.S. Lewis. Join a Roman Catholic and a Byzantine Catholic each week as they discuss the works of C.S. Lewis chapter by chapter, which is awesome. So, currently they're going through the screw tape letters, diving into the mind of demons as they try to tempt us away from our Heavenly Father. 
Each week, they form a battle plan to defend against the spiritual attacks of Satan. Now, here's a cool thing. They divide their podcasts into seasons. And so in previous seasons, they've covered Mere Christianity, The Great Divorce, Till We Have Faces. And next season, they're going to cover The Four Loves. Till We Have Faces was the first book me and my wife read when we were married as like this whole we, we read a chapter and then discuss it because we're intelligent Catholics. How awesome that you get to follow along with an amazing podcast. In addition to the weekly episodes, they also have an after-hours episode with C.S. Lewis scholars from all different denominations. My favorite one being with the whole screw tape letters. They interviewed Father Dwight Longnecker about his book, The Gargoyle Code, and they talked about his perspective on C.S. Lewis and how it spawned this unique subgenre of like getting into the minds of demons. Really fascinating, really interesting. So head on over to pintswithjack.com slash podcast and you can see all of the major podcast platforms that they're on so the google play store itunes all that good stuff so head on over to pintswithjack.com slash podcast thanks for pints with jack for sponsoring this episode of catching foxes and so the the lumen gentium lays that out bishop aaron was going through that bishop aaron brought up a handful of von balthazarian type things and then Ralph Martin's critique of him, which I at first liked, I, I didn't mind his critique because his critique was right on in the fact that Bishop Aaron left out the last three sentences. And the last three sentences are, while all of the above is true, human sinfulness, corrupted religions, religion can corrupt people, it can destroy people, it can keep them you know, lost in sin, which is why we need the missionary impulse. But Ralph Martin, his whole thing, and I have read most of his books, his whole thing um, is he is a hardcore supporter of the Augustinian notion of the Massa Damnata, that the vast majority of the human race will be damned forever. But if do you think that if this is going to sound this is probably some this is probably a juvenile argument. If we were meant to me know, me no likey hell, <laughs> me no like. If, if people were meant to, if we were meant to know, people were we in hell? Wouldn't we know? What do you mean? If we were meant to, like we know that there are saints. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We've we have been given the ability by God and the Church to know when there are saints, people who are in heaven, who are partaking in the unbeatific vision, who they have they have won the race, they have finished, they have claimed their prize, they are with the Lord. We even know, like, we have, you know, I, and I haven't studied a bunch of uh, uh, heavenology or whatever the heck it's called. You just but, call uh, it heavenology? I don't know. I, don't know. I haven't I mean, studied I was, what you call I was, I know there's a I know there's a word for it. I'm just, I'm being stupid. Um, I haven't studied your heaven's gate or whatever. But um, we all wear the same Adidas sneakers. Or was and it we listen to <laughs> whatever. I think it was Adidas. No, was it Puma? No, it was Nike. Oh, you're right. It was Nike it was because there was that great thing where they did a um, Saturday Night Live. Because remember when Nike had that one commercial with Revolution by the Beatles, and they put it over the images of the. T- oh gosh, <laughs> that's horrible. so dark. Yeah, but um, so like we're meant to know and, and and to understand that like there are people who are in heaven. But if we were meant to know who was in hell, wouldn't we know? Yeah, the the I mean, and, the and only I, glimpses I'm that, like, that we have are like in exorcisms and stuff like yeah. that. But that would not be considered or from the like infallible teaching of the church, or from certain. I mean, listen, I I am more inclined to believe that people are like in hell. I'm fascinated by the idea. There's this one idea in that some. It's more of like a Protestant idea that hell doesn't actually exist. But I know there are just too many examples of of, of it. As hell like doesn't exist. Actual. Yeah, so this thing that like <laughs> the idea behind it is I I don't believe it. I just think it's it's one of those weird process things that I think is kind of yeah. interesting. Okay, 
So you, you, you're such a smug. No, Catholic no, no, no. Douche. I am not smug. I've literally <laughs> yes, never are. heard of this outside of Rob Bell. I brought I it know. up a long time ago. Um, so it's that when Christ is talking, I, I, and in this, in the context of certain scripture verses, it, yeah. it does make a little a bit of sense that when you die, you actually have new life. And so I think that's what they're talking about. And if you don't, and if you don't, or if you're not partaking in like the divine life of Christ, or like you know, um, whatever, that there's just nothing. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Annihilation is there's just yeah. nothing. Yeah, and I, I just think I just say I'm like, oh, I've never thought of it. I'm like that. I, no, thought, I, I thought you were saying like there's like some third place, like a limbo, but like a Protestant. No, 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 version. No, no, that's no, no, why no, I was no. laughing. I wasn't laughing at you, baby. I would never. I no, would never. Because... I'm just stroking my camera right now, people. I'm just stroking my camera. Camera's a euphemism. Um, I wish that was true. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, so no, the, it, it in true, the Protestant world, the question is like the way it's always phrased, especially by your bad Christian, um, you know, type folks, the deconstructed disciple is a, um, eternal conscious torment or right. So it's like, oh, so yeah. hell yeah. is eternal conscious torment or, and Christ, the Christophadelphians, I think were the first ones, Christadelphians, whoopsie. Were the first ones I think categorically denied hell, and their vision of hell is it's eternal fire. Yeah, because once, like, if you set a piece of wood on fire and it's burned and reduced to ash, that's eternal fire because what it produced never goes away. And I'm like, that's a dumb way of looking at eternal fire. It, it, you know, the worm dieth not, the flame endeth not, or quencheth not. Like, that's a totally different thing. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, there, there's so much written in the church fathers. But here's the funny thing. When you actually study the church fathers, when you actually study them, there is a diversity of opinion on what happens at the end of the world or when you die. You have a handful of church fathers who are more or less universalists. Now, the word universalist originally meant even the devil would be saved and the fallen angels because of Christ, Christus Victor, the idea of atonement. Again, I get to talk about atonement. But, like, he would draw the dark powers in, and they thought, yes, I'm finally killing God. And in killing God, they, they didn't realize that, whoopsie, I just un- he just made himself an offering to the Father. He just undid all the evil since, you know, uh, Adam, right? And so, but Origen, um, the church father Origen, he taught that because of that proximity of Christ sucker punching the devil, the devil himself would be at the end converted. And Saint Clement of Alexandria, maybe, I think, I think he also believed that. There's a handful of fathers that absolutely believed in something like universalism where all will be saved because there are tons of places in the New Testament that make it sound like that. But there are church fathers who literally, like St. Basil and St. Augustine, who believe in Massa Damnata, that the vast majority of human civilization will burn for all eternity in hell. And there are church fathers who don't believe in Massa Damnata. So when you, when you hear that phrase, like Massa Damnata is essentially a small d doctrine of, you know, Augustinian theology that the majority will go to hell. That is not universally believed by the fathers of the church. It is not universally believed because there are too many passages in the New Testament that sound, I'm not saying that are, but sound universalist, right? And you can't, and by universalist in this case, I don't mean the devil being saved, but humanity being no, saved. No, but I mean, I think that's where the kind of the hope, like that's where the, I just don't, I, I, I think what really bothers me is this, um, when you look at the true, the good, and the beautiful, there's such a 
uh, like I think most people that because the good can be so abs abs the good can be so abstract they either they like kind of like heighten either one or both of of the of the beautiful and the true mm-hmm. you know or they kind of take it to like and or they kind of want to change what they think is beautiful you know or they, or they and it, this is and I think this is one of the things that um I just have a really hard time with is just uh like if you're right so what like, I mean, like, like not, and I, and what I really mean by that is, like, you can win the battle on, over this intellectual argument and lose the war, mm. you know. So if you're so hell bent on bashing Balthazar or bashing Baron or wanting to be seen as the most, because you're right, the most as an influential voice in the, the church, like, haven't you kind of lost? Yeah. Well, okay, so let me let me take it from Ralph Martin's perspective because I read, you know, his book I mean, where he I've goes through. His, I mean, I'll say I've lost all respect for him. I never want to like. I don't want to hear from him. I don't want to hear like I, I truly am disgusted by by him. So what Luke is in particular talking about is there is a chapter. I think it's chapter six or chapter nine of the Church in Crisis, and he essentially lay like he lays out all these satanic deceits of the modern Wait, which, world. Which which two chapters was it? Six or nine? <laughs> oh man, I fell for that one. <laughs> I walked right into that sucker. Uh, what is this, amateur hour? <laughs> no, but uh, in, in that, he lists a whole bunch of satanic things that are killing the church. And <laughs> horrible, horrible things. Yeah, uh, yeah. The Nazism, Marxism, you know, Planned Parenthood, and Von Balthasar. And he actually kind of st- <laughs> levels the heavy. And then it's like, and now let me g- just go off on Von Balthasar yeah. and forever. And, and he... and. and he is extraordinarily uncharitable, extraordinarily uncharitable. Like that part, I, I have now heard from multiple people who, like me, are Ralph Martin fans. Like the fulfillment of all desire, awesome. Like these books are incredible that he's written. But when you get to that part, you read that part, and you're like, you're insinuating that Adrian von Speyer, at the age of 83, is having an illicit affair with a Roman Catholic priest named Hansers von Balthasar, and he manipulated his way into living with her so that he could do that. And I remember I was talking with someone, and they said, to insinuate that is the height of uncharity and calumny and is disgusting. And then I replied, yeah, but she was a hot 83-year-old. Like, you can't. And then no but one... have you heard the most downloaded episode of Catching Foxes? Do you know what that's called? Old people sex. I was so crushed that that was the title of it. <laughs> that, that was their most. I remember. I remember. I'm seeing the download, being like, "Why, God? <laughs> I'm so happy, but also so ashamed <laughs> because I have a sense of humor, Luke. A sense of humor that is hilarious, better than yours." And I, I think that this gets to one of my biggest just a thing that's been like just like I'm nagging at my heart for so long. In the like, to be honest, since like this is one reason why I wanted to do a podcast this way, yeah. was I got so tired of just talking about the truth, and I I, I don't mean I, I, it sounds awful. I don't mean that like that the truth is bad or it's or it's really um, or it's really I'm not important. But I mean, we're hearing this one talk and hearing this and just, just being like, this isn't this isn't this isn't it. <laughs> if this is it, I'm done. Like 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 this is just. This is just a great idea. Like this is a great idea, and I, I think that um, when there's this sorry, I fucking had this weird um, echo thing. 
what really frustrates me about the Ralph Martin thing and Taylor Marshall and I'm a father James Martin and all of these things is this desire to, it comes across as like, I want to win, hmm. which is rooted in, in this idea, which is a, which is one of the lies of modernism and of post light, you know, is that power is what matters. You know, it's why I can't stand. I, I, I get the idea, but I hate it when I, when I see people say things like unrest and power. And I get what they're saying. It just gets under my skin because I'm like, power isn't what matters. But we think it is so we, because we have this technocratic outlook on everything. So it's all just about, like, what can I do? Yeah. And what, is, what else do you have but power in order to do things? So to be powerless, I'm not saying it's good to be – I'm not saying that it's good to be powerless if some people under – they don't see the value in it or, like, what can happen. Yeah. Like, look at what powerless – look at what Christ did, the utter – powerlessness he had while he was on the cross and look at what happened yeah yeah one of my great the the greatest line i ever heard come out of evangelical protestantism that shook me to my core right i've heard a lot of great sermons great points good illustrations but um francis chan had uh he had partnered with an indian uh evangelist and the guy was writing to him and there's yet another famous evangelical pastor that succumbed to sexual temptation and whatever and ruined his marriage, ruined his ministry. And the Indian guy who was kind of a mentor in evangelization to Francis Chan called him up. And he said, what is wrong with you Americans? What is going on over there? Why are you doing this? And he just reamed him out. And he was like, I, I don't know, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, he was a large name. He was so famous. And the enemy just took him out. How many thousands of people will lose their faith because of this? And he's like, yeah, you know, like he just, you know, he wanted to have an impact and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, here's what you Americans get wrong. In India, we want to have the greatest impact. So we seek to be the most hidden in the eyes of the world. But in America, you're confused and thinking that in order to have the biggest impact, you need to have the biggest stage. And you're wrong. He's like, I have personally converted, you know, like, 800,000, like he has some crazy number. He's converted entire villages, right? And he's like, I, I've converted, what do you say, like 50,000 Hindus to Christianity. And he's like, how many, how many people of a different religion has your YouTube talks converted? And you're like, uh, yeah, and no, the people that listen to me are the people who already agree with me. Yeah. Well, Dang. this is, I mean, and I, I, I don't want to like toot our own horn. Toot, toot, though. Um, like this is why I never want to change what we do. I want to. I want to. Like I think I went too far last night. So I'm glad that we're not yeah. putting it out there. <laughs> it was. It was. Guys, it was nuts. <laughs> friends, it was nuts. friends. It was nuts. Luke was nuts. literally was... called me afterwards. He's like, "Hey," he sent me a text. Hey, can we chat? And I was like, "Yeah." Hey, Luke, what's up? And he goes, "Hey, I was just thinking, uh, maybe we don't like. We gotta edit out some of that beginning stuff." And I'm like, "Yeah, Luke, I'm gonna edit out everything that's not Dave and Vickle. <laughs> like, we're gonna just cut it down. <laughs> we're gonna cut it. It's out. gonna be Dave telling and... hilarious stories as a bouncer. How he put three <laughs> skinheads in the hospital. Like, yes. Oh, oh, wait. Dave's audio didn't record. Me. Oh, <laughs> all that we have is just like I'm Luke going. And the problem with bleep 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 and his bleep bleep bleep. <laughs> um, Luke named it, names." I named very many names. <laughs> um, it it had been it had been building for years. Um, <laughs> I, I I think like we get a lot of crap 
and, 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 and like a lot of times it is well deserved, you know, and I need, I probably didn't, didn't need to say a few of the things that I said about a certain individual that I will never talk about again on this um, podcast a couple of months ago. My dad. I, we probably didn't need to do certain, I mean, it felt kind of good at the time, but, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> um, but it's, uh, I'm like, I just like the, the messages we get mean everything to me. More than the Patreon, although we really do like that. Patreon.com slash CF. Patreon.com slash CF. We're back on the posting again a bit. Um, we just put up all of our possible oh, merch on there. Please help us live. Uh, but it, like, those messages of, like, I am a sex addict. I have cheated on my husband. I have done all this, you know, or I um, am trying and I'm, I have given up and then I'm, I'm coming back or, you know, all the stuff. Or, like, I... All this stuff, like just crazy things, where I'm like, I don't understand, like how God is, um, how um, God is using this, like it. I would never want to give that up to have these conversations to be like a little bit more clean and a little bit more respected and a little bit more. I would, I will never, ever, ever. I and I felt, I felt that way, you know, and like I would rather. I'm not saying that, like we're good or we are I'm a special, but like it would take away to embrace. This is going to sound weird, but to embrace more of the truth at the expense of the good and dare I say even the beautiful, to me would be betraying what we're trying to do. And I'm not saying that it's bad that other people do that. I've, I've said this over and over and over and over again on this own podcast. I don't think it's bad that other people are doing that. But what I think when you get to the point when you are obsessed with it, this is what Taylor Marshall does. This is what I think Timothy Gordon, I don't really I'm know as much. So I'm not going to include him in on this. Although I, I think some of the stuff he says is nuts. Um, it feels like, like people just like hate Protestants. Like just hate on Protestantism because of they don't have the fullness of the truth. Completely miss all the good and beautiful things yeah. that they do yeah. and how God works. Like, and I think it's a tragedy. Like if you're not if you're not um, enough of an adult to be able to test everything and, and to hold on to the good, then perhaps you shouldn't have a platform. <laughs> But Luke, it's fun calling Protestants heretics and just refer to them as that, and that's it. Just so I, I don't know. I mean, and it, do you see how like why I feel like? So I think this is why the good is lost, though, is is because of the power and this thing that we, this is what we need is that in order in a world that like I, I I don't I mean if you look at how much someone like Benedict talks about um talks about talks about like relativism and how um dangerous that is and how we need to like confront how bad that is he doesn't say um like he talks about just as much like like the good and the beautiful he's not forsaking those things because this is the crisis of our time the crisis of faith i feel like i'm a unbroken record i've 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 said this a thousand times already hey friends let's take a brief pause on talking about the massa damnata to talk about our friends over at Tilma Parish. Let's make your parish database a little heavenly. Our world lives and breathes technology. We don't want to get lost in it. We don't want to get sucked into the techne. But technology can actually help meet people where they're at. We learn, connect, and communicate and participate in life online. It's an extended part of our lives today. 
Tilma is a ministry tool that helps parishes bridge this gap between the online technology-driven society and our flesh-and-blood sacramental church. It's technology that supports the parish, supports parish teams, and creates opportunities for parishioners to actually encounter Jesus in a personal way. How does it do that? Well, Tilma Parish allows you to manage all your parish needs in one place. We're talking events, people, giving, email communications, and, and your website. But the best part, it actually has a Roman Catholic ministry philosophy baked right in. Beautiful websites that create a welcoming experience, personalized email that prevents your parishioner from feeling like one lost in the masses, simplified online giving that makes a culture of generosity easy, and integrated people management that means you get to see the whole person when they sign up for marriage prep, the last class they attended, to the kinds of emails they signed up for. The more you see of your parishioners, the better you can serve them. And it's easy to manage, too, because Tilma is made for everyone on your team, no matter their skill level or experience with online database management, blah, blah, blah. It's simple, effective, and made to help move your parish towards renewal. The heart driving this technology is to equip parishes with what they need to love people well. With Tilma, big ministry impact is possible. So go check out a free demo right now at tilmaparish.com slash foxes, and you will get the first month on Tilma for free. That website again is Tilma, T-I-L-M-A, tilmaparish.com slash foxes. Much thanks to our good friends over at tilmaparish.com for sponsoring this episode of Catching Foxes. Going back to um, the original story with, with Bishop Aaron, and, and I've, I've said this a million times. Uh, it's, it's not that I agree with Bishop Barron and Hanser's von Balthasar's take on um, whether or not hell will be empty of human souls at the end of time. I am not saying one way or the other, I, or excuse me, I am not agreeing with that. I don't think that it is. I think there are a lot of people who have committed unrepentant mortal sin at the moment of their death and are spending an eternity separated from God because they have no ounce of repentance. I, I, I do believe that. But when I, who spend hours reading sacred scripture and encounter so many of these verses that cause me to hope for every individual. I mean, this is, this is how the argument unfolds in dare we hope, which is a bad English translation. It's ought we to hope. Um, but the, the argument is he, uh, okay. So first let me say this. Father John Neppel pointed out that so many people critique Hans Urs von Balthasar for the book, dare we hope in its English translation, dare we hope, that was a side of a side of a side piece of speculative theology that has n- almost nothing to do, I can't say nothing because it's derivative of his thought, but almost nothing to do with the main project that Hans Urs von Balthasar was creating and spent, spent his entire life doing at the service of the church. And on top of that, uh, it was a polemical piece that was published. It was a collection of his responses to, uh, I, I believe it was a Dominican, not a Jesuit, a Dominican theologian who he was responding to. And the funny thing was the debate, so when people argue with me about it, because there's a handful of people, there's probably about eight people that I have this ongoing conversation with, and I keep telling them, you are not listening to the actual debate. It is a scholarly debate. Just saying, but Jesus says the road is wide, the way is easy, and many are those who go to perdition. That's chapter one of Dare We Hope. 
He goes through all of that. And he's not pretending like so many people think, well, I got this one verse that obviously he hadn't thought of. Actually, he quotes it 400 times in the first 20 pages. So my problem is it's not that people aren't right. It's that they're not even taking their argument seriously and they so rush to caricaturize it. Because the funny thing is, in the, I believe it's the second chapter of Dare We Hope, the guy who is his arch opponent, who is calling him a universalist and all these stuff, yeah, apocatastasis and all this stuff, which is a biblical term, um, because he is, uh, or the, the argument that the guy's saying, the guy actually admits that you can have hope for every individual soul to go to heaven. And this was my response that I wanted to say to Father John Nepple. Father John Nepple says, if you've ever celebrated a funeral for someone who's committed suicide or someone who died from alcoholism, you know, they were drunk driving, stuff like that. He says, it breaks your heart, but you absolutely hope for their salvation. Right? And if the church says that these are grave things that these people were doing that led to their ultimate demise, he said, when I'm there with the family, it's not just like a squeamishness of it. Actually, your beloved's in hell, but I'm going to go on with this funeral mass. The very existence of a funeral mass is hoping for this person's salvation, that the last gasp of air, of oxygen in their brain, they cried out, my God, my God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Right? We don't know if they did that. When our buddy Matt hit the water in Steubenville, and plunged all the way to the bottom of the Ohio River and was embedded in the rocks. He wasn't trying to kill himself. He was jumping off a bridge, and he had done a thousand times before, but this was a different bridge. When Matt did that, and I went to his funeral, his mom said, the autopsy report is not back. So we don't know if he died from having a broken neck at the bottom of the rocks, at the bottom of the, of the river in the rocks, or if he drowned to death because he was embedded in the rocks. And do you know what she said to me? She said, I wish he drowned. And I said, why is that? And she said, so in the last moments of his life, he could say he's sorry. Now, that woman wore all white to her son's funeral, and her husband bought an all-white suit to his funeral, to his son's funeral. And they wore white, and when I asked them, I said, wow, that's incredible. Why are you wearing white? And they said, because we believe in the glory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and hope to see our son one day in the age to come. And you just think about that, and you say, okay, here's the deal. There are so many unfortunate circumstances. Am I allowed to hope for these people's salvation? Like Matt, Matt wasn't like, you know, a profligate mortal sinner. But the idea of it, like bad, bad situations that people put themselves in, that end up with them getting killed. And then you say these, like, it's easy to pontificate about unrepentant mortal sin, but you don't know if that person repented. Now, again, I do not believe, I believe there are people who have unrepentant mortal sin and go to hell for all eternity. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is Von Balthasar's argument, his opponent. Wait, wait, wait real quick. Yeah. Like, what was the thing that you wanted to yeah. say to Father John, though? Is, oh, are, is this, is this. Father John okay. seemed to be saying that, uh, when you celebrate the funeral, you hope for, you know, this suicide victim, this, you know, tragic death. You know, you have hope for it. The guy that is condemning Von Balthazar in the book, I can't remember his name. I wish I had the, the book's actually at my church office. Um, he believes that you can hope for every individual's salvation, but not that all shall be saved 
categorically. So this is how thin the line is. And to me, I felt like Father. But I don't think I don't think that's what Father John was. No, I don't no, think no. I think really Father responding. John was saying like you can hope for the individual. Like when I'm celebrating the mass. I'm hoping for this individual. Yeah, but salvation. I'm saying I don't think Father John is really talking about Ralph Martin. I think he's I think he's talking about other people. Well, I mean, he brought up Ralph Martin too. But he did. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. But the but I mean, I like I'm that sorry. because Ralph Martin is 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 in lockstep with these people in terms of the Massa Damnata. He Ralph Martin himself would put a lot of distance between himself and Taylor Marshall. But um, the idea of of the of people just saying. Well, most of the people in most of human history are condemned to an eternity of separation from God. And I know this as a fact. It's like, well, do you well? Do you? Do you? Do you? And then everyone brings up what you brought up, which is the church has never decreed that any one individual person is in hell, not even Judas. Although the Bible does say it would be better for this man not to have been born. I kind of think if you end up in heaven, even if your life sucked, it would still be better that you were born and now in heaven. So that that's my one, like, but do you think? It, but do you think in that verse though it could be like? I mean that R- rabbinical bit, hyperbole. It's dramatic. Yeah, I mean it's a dramatic. If your so right it, hand I mean, causes like, you to sin. Cut it off. Cut it off. Yeah. Right. Like they're not saying that. Right. And so, and so it, von Balthasar's point was: Is it okay? It's a, it's a piece of speculative theology. Yeah, and, and that he, but no, that he knows the difference between universalism and ought we to hope for everyone's salvation? But he, here's the thing that I keep coming back to. Is that this? Why? Why are they doing this? Why is Taylor Marshall doing this? Why is Father John? Why is Father John? Why is Father James uh, Martin saying stuff on Twitter to try to get an ire out of um, out of people? Why is Ralph Martin saying this stuff? Why does people in the charismatic um, movement? Why do they say things that they shouldn't say that they that they have that they really haven't um, discerned? It's because of power, and it is a hell of a drug. It's it's a hell it's a it's a hell of an aphrodisi- aphrodisiac, <laughs> or you know perhaps I don't well, know maybe maybe <laughs> listen guys the Lord is telling me wait a second whoa all the blood just left my brain if you see my track record I wouldn't know but, uh, <laughs> it um I'm just kidding my twenties was awesome uh that um that's, that's Look, if, if ever there yeah. was an example of an unrepentant mortal sinner it's Luke in his twenties. <laughs> That's not true at all. <laughs> Luke never went to confession. Luke stopped believing in God. Luke said no, God no, no, wasn't no. an American. How dare you? That was when I was 18. Very different. Hey, uh, so I had an interview with Brandon Vaught. Brandon Vaught goes, so how's your co-host Luke doing? And then I just started laughing nervously. And I said, ever the We're contrarian. Buds. Ever the contrarian. Ever the contrarian. I said, but Luke, Luke's, Luke's pulling for you guys. He's like, good. Tell, tell him I said I. <laughs> yeah, he's great. We're buds. Um <laughs> Uh, it's fine. It, it uh, man, I had such a great point about the power thing. Um, what was I going? Was to it say that one point that you already made eleven times? Probably. <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. Listen, this is the way. This is it, the way. I uh, whatever. I think I've. I think I've probably. I thought there's one more thing about that. Yeah. So um, the other day I was talking with someone, not not really about this, but we were talking about salvation because that was one of the last subjects that I taught. And they said, well, where do you see like these Bible verses about universal salvation? Right. So I, I have a handful for to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the savior of all people, especially those who believe. First Timothy 410. And I like this, Romans eleven thirty two. For God has consigned all the disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Romans five eighteen. Therefore, as one trespass, Adam, 
led to the condemnation for all men. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish. So the Lord doesn't wish any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Do you know what's really interesting? Yeah. I'm really glad that 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 you brought all all of all of that up. I I kind of I kind of remember what what I was going yeah, go to say. No. So you shared with me that one article that was written in 2019 about how uh, the technocratic like outlook. That's really what's behind all of our like all of our philosophy. All of the, all like modern philosophy starts with that. So idea that did you read I, that? Did you I, read that article? I, I try. I. Didn't have time to read uh, the whole Michael thing. Michael Hamby, but I skimmed man, you would I love. Went him. through a lot. I it was great. I mean, everything I saw I was like, holy crap! So and, and I, that's why I saw because I wanted to give it more time yeah. before we talked about it because I think it's actually really important. But I am going to bring it up now. This idea that like when we we start with the techne, if you will, and by that I don't mean t- technology in the sense of like your iPhones. I mean action, doing stuff, like trying to continually conquer the world through the things that we can make and do. Mm -hmm. That's why all the arguments that you just um, talked about will fall on deaf ears if someone like Taylor Marshall or um, uh, certain charismatic leaders were to to, to hear it. Mm -hmm. Because it's not about, it's really not even about truth. If, if if we're being honest here, this is why I think like Matt Fred is so good because like a uh, Matt Fred is going after the truth in like in a lot of these things, but it's for the sake of salvation. It's for the sake of like um, he embraces like the good and the beautiful in the entirety of like Catholic teaching, and he gets all of this all of this stuff. So it doesn't get a lot. It's not based in techne. It's based in love. It's based in. Um, it's. I mean, no, actually, I think it is based in love, like real, not like. I mean, like real love, wanting to will the good of the other. Um, it's one of the reasons why I really love Matt, why I love Matt, and why I think we can, like, why we kind of work that we're very similar in all of our uh, moodiness. But my point is, though, is that um, I, I do um, wonder if these um, people, these false prophets, if if you will, they don't understand what the culture has done to them, because they haven't read enough Balthazar, that they view the world through the lens of techne. So power and what they can do and winning is what matters. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter how right... You can throw all the... I mean, how many people have explained at like nauseum that it is speculative theology? Yeah. How many people have done it? It's, I mean, it's been on Matt Fratt's podcast. Him and him and Father Mike Schmitz have um, talked about it. We have we we have um, talked about it to a much um, smaller audience. Um, <laughs> like um, Catholic stuff has the. I'm sure that the crunching. I'm clearly speaking has has like like people have talked about this ad nauseum. Yet so many people that we know still sign up to what people like Taylor Marshall are saying. Why? Yeah. Why do they do that? I think it's because of the techne. It's because of the power. It's because of the this is what I can use to conquer the world right now. Well, let me let me let me defend it. Can I defend someone that would agree with this? So, in a very real sense, especially someone like me who was brought up in conservative Catholicism my whole life, 
and I would just, I wouldn't call it conservative. I would call it Catholicism or faithful Catholicism. But in the face of moral compromising, in the face of a lot of churches, parishes in my area who literally would lie about what the church teaches because it was conforming to the standards of the world. One of the things that I was taught from the beginning, if you die with unrepentant mortal sin, you go to hell for all eternity because there's this thing called sanctifying grace. It's called the life of charity that unites you for the love of God to God. And if you sin against that, you don't lose your faith. You're not sinning against faith. You're sinning against the love you have for God. And people can really do that. It's a terrible compliment that God pays to our freedom. We can really choose to reject God. That's church teaching. You can choose, there are things called mortal sins that kill mortus. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And yeah. so when you begin to stack these things up and you realize, like, unrepent, like, I am not the type of person that says, well, so I can live a faithful life my whole life. Like, I've heard people say this. And you're telling me that everyone's going to be saying, well, what's the point of living a faithful life? How about not effing living in sin your entire life? How about not destroying your family with your sin your entire life? How about actually receiving the good gifts that God has given you with a grateful heart and being in union with those things? I I had a person literally say to me, isn't it better to have a deathbed confession? No. That's the worst way to be saved. Yeah, you actually make make everything worse. Yes, it's the worst way to be saved because, number one, you better not be banking on that deathbed confession because chances are you might not be in a place where you can make it. Like famously <laughs> Voltaire in the wonderful sermons of the Curé de Ars says, like here he was trying to make a deathbed confession and his friends thought he was just scared at the moment of death. So they prevented the priest from giving him confession and last rites. The priest was outside his door for hours and Voltaire was calling for the priest and he didn't. So uh, that might be an apocryphal story, but it's from the sermons of the Curé de Ars. Now, within that context, right, like you, you've been taught your whole life that hell is a doctrine of the church, that the church has affirmed it, that saints have seen souls there, that there's a whole bunch of stuff mixed up in it. And then comes a theologian who isn't walking in the way of St. Thomas Aquinas, who actually takes pot shots at what he calls sawdust Thomism. And so already he is prickling the sensibilities of the anti-modernists. I keep, I'm keeping spirit fingers to Luke as I say prickling the sensibilities. Prickling, I know. It was very weird. It really was. I, I was trying I, to think, and I was just... I immediately just think of uh, the Daniel Tosh thing. I wish you wouldn't. <laughs> I, <laughs> because, yeah. yeah. Never mind. Yeah, okay. Um, but, I mean, like you can imagine, it looks like he's taking away a do- or assaulting a doctrine of hell. But when you actually read, you know, his mystery of Holy Saturday and the descent of Christ into hell, it, he doesn't annihilate hell. He talks about hell is really existing and people really being in there. But, this, but here's the thing. Yeah. How, how much of that is just wanting to win the argument and to, and to win? Well, I would say, though, that it's not just to win. Like, it, it, it is a – because I reject von Balthasar's assessment in his speculative theology. I do. I don't think he's Idiot. right. Huh? Idiot. Yeah. What? Yeah. No, no, I'm sorry. He only memorized a Mozart. Go on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mozart was a Freemason. Anywho. <laughs> he was. Yeah, I know. Just embrace the magic flute, Luke, and let it take away your mortal sins. Let it take away your songs are great. (laughs) But in the core of it, right, the the idea of like putting down von Balthasar for some people, maybe not von Balthasar, but like this modernist spirit of attacking the reality of hell. I'm all in favor of that, and I'm not saying I'm here to win an argument. I am here to win an argument if the argument coming against it is a lie. 
right? It's a distortion of the truth. For people that say there's no such thing as mortal sin or mortal sin doesn't have any consequences, I'm coming at you. But that's not what he's saying, though. Right. And, well, and like, but like, here's here's the thing. Like, so you're you're I'm taking a guy who has done all this stuff, who has who has said all these things, who is admired, who was called the most yeah. cultured man of the 20th century yeah. by Pope Benedict the 16th. And it's true. Who is like, held in esteem by all of these people who say like like I think Father John uh, John Umnepel is right. I think Balthazar is the most important Catholic figure of the last 100 years. Yeah, 100. percent I think I, I there's and. The fact that people are get so adamant about this, yeah. and the fact that like how many people have told like we we had a, we had a person who uh, who told us to stop being cucks because we didn't agree with Taylor Marshall. That's what I'm talking. I'm yeah. not talking about like being mad at what Balthazar is saying or or like um or you know I'm not agreeing. I'm saying going to, to the lengths to say that this man is on par with Marxism. Yeah. Or that this like I, that's or not, Hans like, Kung. I think Hans Kung is like, the worst. <laughs> like blame him. He like, just died. Let's like there's a the huge book. difference between that and that message that yeah. that we got. Yeah, telling us that like, and that's what I am. I'm referring to the people are are like I'm friends that like who have basically I kind of like don't know have not, lost touch would be the wrong word, but just I don't know what else to say. Yeah, I'm just saying like there there is a case to be made against his arguments. But yeah, my no, problem is that. no one is making that case They're because they just, don't want to. Yeah, they don't. They care. don't want to hear it because yeah. it's not about that. But like that's that's that, that's that's what I'm saying, right? But my is my that, my like a just motive for them is. But everything I've ever heard about the church says otherwise. Here's a modernist guy with a modernist haircut living his pantsuit lifestyle with a who woman. cares? Right. Well, it matters. Like. No, because it doesn't. No, it a, doesn't. What doesn't matter? The fact that he wears a suit. Oh, no, the fact no, that he no, was no. a secular priest. It doesn't matter. No, no, no. Like, I'm truly, just joking, like, but I'm, it's like it's uh, all a part of. But there are people who think that. Yeah, though. but it's all a part of a piece where you had an explicit rejection. Like this line from Hans Kung, the, the last time we had someone put a Hans Kung book in our chapel, and so we just clarify, purify. Literally, there's another book. like three people know who oh, he is. Hans right? Kung is a dissident theologian. Okay, anyway, he was stripped of his ability <laughs> to teach in the Catholic Church, but he was a Paridi at Vatican II. He's from Sweden. He was a Paridi at Vatican II. Benedict tried to reconcile him to the church, didn't work. But he said, in the last chapter, he gave he it said, the old college strike. He gave it the old challenge. He said, what we don't need is a John Paul III. What we need is a new John the 24th to call us a third Vatican Council and in order to prevent Romanism from destroying the Catholic Church. And there are a lot of people who see Rahner, Karl Rahner, Hansers von Balthasar, even though they stood on the opposite sides, and Hans Kung as and and Benedict and Pope John Paul II as all a like, part of. The, I know, and I agree. That's insane. I love Benny. Pope John Paul II is my jam. I literally found out that there is a local JP2 Institute here, and I was like, "How did I not know this? I will get my degree yeah, how tomorrow." Did you not know that? <laughs> yeah, I'm an idiot. Um, but the whole idea of like, for many people, when they hear. Why they're so easy to go to the Ralph Martin or the or the um, Taylor Marshall side is it's like, well, clearly people are in hell. What about all these saints who have had visions? What about the Fatima? What about, you know, that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Like when people. No, 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 default- no, I hear what you're saying, but I don't. Th- I just want like to go to the extreme length that those guys are Agreed. going to. Oh, well, well played. I, I think it's it's there's a difference between like, I hey, I, I like I, I listen. So 
I don't want to mention his name, but he's but he listens to to the podcast. He's a buddy, man. I'm pretty sure he doesn't really. I'm like Balthasar because of that. But he doesn't go. This is like you know, like the worst thing to ever happen. He doesn't dismiss the towering intellect of Hans Urs my Balthazar just no, because or, he doesn't agree I mean, with but, him. Yeah. But he does say, like, I don't, I just, I can't, I'm getting into his stuff because, and fine, fine, yeah. fine. That's fine. <laughs> what I don't like is telling people, like, this man is the equivalence of a person who committed genocide. Yeah, you know, like, like, and or like, this is, a, this is destroying the church. I'm like, it's not. It's not. Sorry, it's not. Like, yeah. you're wrong. But you're saying it because you're a p- So <laughs> take that out. <laughs> I'm gonna edit. I'm gonna edit that out with the with the edit sound that effect. out, please. Edit. I hate that word. I don't know why I said that. I don't know why I said that. I was just so. F- it's mad funny. About like this. I, I honestly couldn't track your argument because at one point you were saying, "Why would any?" Like you were literally making fun of me for how smart Anzers von Balthazar is more than me, and why I would deny it. And I'm like, because I believe that there's a thing called mortal sin, and the church teaches that you can lose your salvation if you die in an unrepentant state. I find it very difficult to believe that people die and everyone repents. I find that difficult. No, I'm, I'm not saying that. Um... No, I know you're not. You clarified that afterwards. But while, while I, was, I was like, it sounds like you're saying, why would anyone not take Hans Urs's side? And, and my thing is, there's a lot of reasons why no, someone no, wouldn't no, no, no. and no, why I... they would default to someone that seems to be defending the orthodoxy of the church against a seemingly unorthodox person. But that is a totally different thing than saying Hans Urs von Balthasar is the equivalent of Planned Parenthood, which is literally what the, how that chapter lays it out. Yeah, yeah, and that's what these guys are doing, though. Like they're they're trying they're not. I mean, like they are trying to destroy Baron because of his love for Balthasar. And granted, now he also subscribes to like some of those ideas, and or he finds them in intriguing, or you know, uh, or you know, whatever. But to then go after an entire apostolate, I, I'm, I'm like a yeah, man's Ma- ministry. Ralph Martin is interesting because, because he, of that. the the Massa Damnata has been a very big thing in his ministry for years. And for him, he views it as the essential missionary impulse. I am saving souls from an eternity in hell. And uh, speaking as someone who has spent my life's mission evangelizing people, I, I, that is a part of, like, I don't want anyone to go to hell. I really yeah, don't does? want anyone to go to hell. Right. But my missionary impulse is not has never been like I'm not thinking this person's going to go to hell unless I bring him to Christ today or you know through my relationship with him that's not my thing because I know one I'm not the savior number two there's probably someone with 10 other arguments uh appeal you know attractive lifestyles that'll win them over more than me but also it's like it's it's what I said about the deathbed confession people who are far from Christ are alienated from God that's hell and they're living that alienation right now like that is that's what i don't want for people don't you want to know that you're and not that you're gonna go to heaven when you yeah. die yeah that's not even in the bible <laughs> that's not the christian notion but that you are united to god in christ jesus the indwelling of the trinity like the the atonement the, the that he loved you so much, he would take the wrath of the world onto himself to say, I love you to the end? Like, that is why I'm a part of this. When I teach teenagers and evangelize them, I never think 
well, I'm, I'm trying my best to save them from eternity in hell. All I think is they have no idea what they're missing from a relationship with God here and now and for eternity, sure. But I want to see their lives transformed. I want to see the dead come to life. I want to see souls converted. And that's why I think the Ralph Martin's fear of, the, of Von Balthazar's dairy hope as destroying the missionary impulse, I think is 100% wrong. I really do. I really do. I, I don't think... I don't think that's the only reason why you would preach the gospel. Um, I, I actually understand that fear. Of, like, I've I, I thought about that a lot during my young adult alone ministry. Part of it was just to keep yeah. me motivated because I had no one else help. motivating me. But um, truly, yeah, yeah, it was just like, like, but like people deserve to hear the, they deserve to hear yeah. the message of the gospel because what could await them if they don't? You know, and that, and I, and I was like, I was really like, I, like, um, especially the idea of hell as being the absence of God makes a lot of sense to me. That <laughs> it was hilarious in um, South Park. Well, if you but, view uh, sin, the result of sin, as threefold alienation, I'm alienated from God, I'm alienated from others, and I'm alienated within myself from myself, then what is hell but the amplification of those three alienations for all eternity? And I remember listening to Big Papa one of those albums that was released after his death. And he had this line where he says, like, I don't want to go to heaven with all the goody goodies. Let me go to hell with the chicks in black leather. And, you know, like this silly cartoon version of heaven and hell. And I, uh, you know, and people, you know, there's funny jokes like, hey, if I go to hell, you know, you're coming with me. At least I'll have company. Like, you know, things that people hear on movies and stuff like that. But the reality is, like, C.S. Lewis nailed it when he said, in hell, in heaven, there is music and there is silence. In hell, there is only noise. Like the people that surround you in hell, wh- whatever that phrase means, surrounds you in a non-physical location. You won't have, you're not having a Sunday barbecue with them. You hate them and their presence makes you hate them even more, which leads to more alienation from others, God himself. Like th- that's what hell is. Hell is other people, right? Like that's what hell is. Actually, there's a great line on the Pillar podcast that I love where he said, Jesus Christ is other people. And I was like, Ed Condon, you don't seem to like me on Twitter, but I like your, your stuff. I love their podcast so much. I skip, so I skip the first JD. 10 minutes. I skip it. I sip, 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 sip. Really? It's, that's the exact reason why people hate us. Yeah, I know. It's because our show is that 10 minutes. <laughs> it really is. But it's, I mean, that, their last one from like the other week was phenomenal. Just so, but no, and I, I just, it breaks my heart, yeah. and I and I need to I need to come to a place where I just for whatever reason you think I would, I I just hate I hate being let down by the, by the church. Like and by the church I mean like lay people I mean priests I mean um, nuns I I mean bishops time and time again, I just feel let down, and it and, and no there are plenty of times when I'm not. So it just, but it, it does seem to happen a lot, and this is what I feel like is happening. That like the church is finally in a place where some some beautiful things that are going. There's always been beautiful stuff going on, but I just didn't see any of this stuff coming. I didn't see the rise of the rad. I hate to even call it rad trath, but this like just disgusting hatred coming from Orthodox Catholics. Mm-hmm. I did not see that coming. 
towards other parts of the, like towards people who would hold a lot of this, who hold the same beliefs that they do to other Orthodox um, Catholics. I did not see that coming at all. Did you? I mean, in a certain sense, you always have had the mar- the narcissism of minor differences. Like, there's no one you hate more than the person you almost 100% agree with because they're not just an outsider. Like, why don't they attack attack uh, Cardinal Supic like this? They don't attack him because no one believes they're g- he's going to say anything orthodox anyway. Th- this is one of the statements of these people who attack him. But Bishop Barron, they attack because they're like, come on, you're so close to the truth. The truth is the way I conceive it. You're so close. Come on. And it's funny, but, like, I think in a certain way I've always seen this and always been a part of it. But it's bizarre that what in in 2016, it was like the entire ground shifted and no one really knew. And there was an insurgent new right and an insurgent new left. And all of a sudden, everything was recontextualized. So the, the, the liberals are now condemned as racist, cisgendered, blah, 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 even though they paved the way for gay marriage and all this stuff in the insurgent new left. And the insurgent new right is, it, it, it's not an ideological conservatism in most cases. It's a, it's, it's a power grab in the name of the people. And, it, you know, it's fascinating that, you know, coming back to the Catholic stuff you should know, the, the bishop or um, Father John Nepple when he was, having his Sunday meetings with his fellow priests, they said, when did we become the liberals? Like, we're not at all. We know theology. We're not just spitting out rhetoric. But people who spit out rhetoric and are quick to condemn, like, they're actually theologically wrong, but we're the losers. It's crazy. It's bad. It's only going to get worse. I I 100% believe that. Yeah. And it, it... and it's so easy to, to sit there and to blame bad liturgies and to blame bad uh, bad um, bishops and and all that stuff is a problem. But I think ultimately it comes down to uh, I need to not give up, right? Uh, especially on them as people. I want to, like, I want to find. I, I just, I mean, I'll be honest. I'm having a very hard time with encounter ministries for a lot of different reasons, and I just want to hate them. I want to hate them with every ounce of my being, mm. and I can't because I because there are people in there who I uh, who I love dearly, dearly, and I can't. I want to, for some at times what it's felt like over the years, very valid reasons, but I can't, and I don't know what to do with it. I truly, I like, I don't, I don't know what to do with it. I don't know what to do with like my just utter. Um, fury doesn't even begin to explain what I feel. And I prayed about it today, and I just felt God tell me, like, let it go. Like, you cannot, like, you have to. And I could be wrong. It could just be my um, subconscious being, like, just race of money today. But I went, I ran into the school chapel for, like, two minutes, and I was like, God, this is going to consume my brain. Mm-hmm. Like, I just feel it. It's just, and he's like, you just have to let it go for right now. And I, everything that I'm mad about, I think is just, but I, I'm like, I can't fight this fight. You, you know, and I don't know what else to do besides like 
be their friend, which sounds weird because I, I, I want this on the podcast. I want this there. So, I mean, unless you feel like it's really, unless you feel like it's, you know, too much, then it, it's fine. But I, 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 I mean, I want to put my friendships first and I want to see them as people first, not as ideologies. And I've already done that to Taylor Marshall. I've already, like, put him in a box and said, you're this weird Ed Hardy affliction-wearing dude. What is affliction? You right. keep saying that. What is that? It's one of those jeans or T-shirts things that, like, you know, like, he probably has a lot of, like, uh, Three Days Grace in his car or something. I don't know what Three Days Grace is. You know? Ah, they're one of those dumb bands. Okay. Like, the, the only kind of bands that are kind of like that that I like are um, Chevelle. New Metal. New metal. People who like um, new metal. Okay. So you have a lot in common with them, actually, when you stop and think of them. But not in the outfits that you wear. But that easily could have been you in a different social circumstances. Totally. And I just kind of hate that whole – I hate. I dislike that whole, like, aesthetic. I just think it's so weird. Um, like, you know, the dudes have, like, the, who have, have, like, the diamonds in their jeans and weird designs and, like, really, really faded. <laughs> um, and like gelled hair when they're like in their like mid to like um, upper forties, and it's like maybe stop. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I just I want to see Taylor Marshall as Taylor Marshall the person, not Taylor Marshall the uh, ideologue or the demigod that I view him as right now, who's the dangerous a uh, demigod who I think is ruining lives. He's the demiurge. He is the 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 D word that is from the show Stranger Things. Damn it! What is it called? Demogorgon. Demogorgon. You know, but like he's got a family that I'm sure he loves his kids. I'm sure that he loves his wife. I'm sure he loves his parents. I'm sure that people love him. Nope. You know, he's created in the image and in and in the likeness of God. And I can scream about it till I'm blue in the face, but that doesn't change the fact that like I'm called to lay down my life for him. You know, I don't know what that looks. I don't know. I don't. I truly go. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that looks like. Well, Luke, I think it looks something like the cross, and you crying out, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" Maybe tonight we should all take a moment and read Psalm twenty-two. <laughs> I'm not joking. Read it. Are we? Are we in a? Are we in a dark place right now? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why so far from my call for help, from my cries of anguish? My God, I call by day, but you do not answer by night. But I have no relief, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the glory of Israel. In our ancestors, in you, our ancestors <laughs> trusted. They trusted you. They, they trusted and you rescued them. To you they cried out and they escaped. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am worn, hardly human, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They curl their lips and jeer. They shake their heads at me. You relied on the Lord. Let him deliver you. If he loves you, let him rescue you. Yet you drew me from the forth of the womb, made me safe on my mother's breast. Upon you I was thrust from the womb. Since birth you are my God. Do not stay far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Fierce bulls of Bashan encircle me. They open their mouths against me. 
lions that rend and roar. Like water, my life drains away. All my bones grow soft. My heart has become like wax. It melts away within me. As dry as a pot shred is Potshirt. my is my throat. Potshirt is my throat. My tongue sticks to my palate. You lay me in the dust of death. Many dogs surround me. A pack of evil doers. A pack of evil doers um, closes in on me. So wasted are my hands and feet that I can count all my bones. They stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among them. For my on the clothing they cast lots. But you, Lord, do not stay far off. My strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword. My forlorn um, life from the teeth of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth. My poor life from the horns of wild bulls. That I will proclaim your name to the assembly. In the community I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, give praise. All descendants of Jacob, give honor. Show reverence. All descendants of Israel. For God has not spurned or disdained the misery of this poor wretch. Did not turn away from me, but heard me when I cried when I cried out, I will offer praise to the great uh, to the great assembly. My vows I will fulfill before those who fear him. The poor will eat their fill. Those who seek the Lord will offer praise. May your hearts enjoy life. May your hearts enjoy life forever. At the ends of the earth will um, at the all the ends of the earth will worship and turn to the Lord. All the families of nations will bow before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, the ruler over the nations. All who sleep in the earth will bow before God. All who have gone down into the dust will kneel in homage. And I will live for the Lord. My descendants will serve you. The um, generation to come will be told of will be told of the Lord that they may proclaim to a people yet unborn the deliverance you have brought. Wonderful. Oh, I love this. The, the Psalms. I need to remember the fact that anytime I'm in a kind of a bad spot, just read the Psalms out, out loud. There's there. It, it's insane how healing they mm-hmm. are. If today you hear his voice, harden not your heart. If today you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Our God is an awesome God. God, he reigned from heaven above with wisdom, power, and light. Our God is an awesome God. You know, have you ever read anything about Rich Mullins? Have I, have I ever read anything about him? Yeah, yeah. or by or by him? Yeah. You would love him. Yeah, the ragamuffin gospel. Yeah, his stuff is so... He's got... The, although I worry if he had lived, he may have gotten real into... Deconstruction, but well, I mean, he uh, was on his way to convert to Catholicism. Thought I, I've heard that. I, I always, I would love for that to be true. Yeah, but no, I'm, no, I'm no. I, like, uh, who was I talking to? I was just talking to someone maybe about six months ago who was like, "Oh no, he used to come to our conferences and he used to pray at our church, and he was seeking RCIA." No, this is like a real thing. This is not like the wishful thinking of charismatic Catholics from. I hope you know, the I, late hope, 80s. I, I really want to believe you. It was all. It's all St. Francis of Assisi. Yeah, his stuff, like we, especially the non-awesome God stuff. He, you know, that song. He didn't take any of the royalties. Do you understand how much money he turned down? Seven. I'm, I'm talking probably. It's probably tens of. It's tens of millions. Really? 
Yeah, because you have to understand, he wrote that song in like the 80s when like, if you wrote a song, dude, especially a song like that, think of how many books that's in. Think about how many churches played that. Mm-hmm. Think about how many times I was on, I'm a Christian, I'm radio. Anytime anyone played that song in a legal way, he got paid. Yeah. Ten and so cents. what do you do with the money? He, I don't, I believe he just gave it to the poor. Like, he had to go to some group, and he didn't tell anyone that. And people were like, it wasn't until he died or something. People were like, yeah, oh, by the way, he just, he never, like, he lived. I mean, he could have lived like kings, damn kings. But um, Let, let's be honest. Let's be honest. Me and you, we write a song. It becomes On Eagle's Wings, the next version, right? Mm-hmm. The most popular song ever. What are you doing with that money? Hookers and Blackjack. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, hookers and Blackjack. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm telling you, cocaine is going to be very hard yeah. to say no to. <laughs> it helps me focus. Um, <laughs> it's actually a thing with people with um, uh, with ADHD. Like one of the reasons why cocaine they can hook is it just helps them feel like it's just kind of normal, not normal, but like like an excited version of normal. <laughs> um, so I I would probably in my I, this is kind of like what would you do if you won the lottery? Here's what I would do: I'd pay off all of our debts. The house, the school, the cars, all that stuff. I would put away some money so my mom could have money for have a little bit more money for retirement. I'm not, I'm not sure how much she has, but I want to make sure that she, that um, she, I just, just want to make sure that like she's okay. Um, pay off my sisters any loans that they have from school or in, and their spouses if they if if they if they would want me to if they have anything, and then just kind of put the rest and probably split it up where put like a third away and I give 4% away each year to anything that I feel like giving money away to 4% for uh, like us uh, and like in the house, just like house needs, different things like, like that. And then the rest towards retirement in terms of like, so like, like that, so that third that is, that is left after I've kind of, you know, taken care of my own um, one is for charity Two is just for like everyday, almost everyday like life stuff. That, you know, you want to fix the house, you want to fix this thing. Um, then the last part is for um, retirement. Okay, let me tell you. Uh, what a weird plan, if, huh? <laughs> if 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 I win thirty to a hundred million dollars, this is how my life is going. Number one, take one million dollars, do all the stupid family stuff that you were talking about, right? Pay off the house. Get a new minivan for the kids or whatever my wife wants. I think she wants one of those Mercedes vans that holds 37 people. So we'll do that. Sure. Great. Wonderful. School bus. I'm down. Pay off my parents, whatever they want, you know, thing. But only up to a million dollars. I'm capping that crap. Okay? (laughs) Million dollars, number two. The second one million dollars. That immediately gets allocated to something, probably just eat an invitation. I would just give it to them. I right? love uh, Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> just, give <it> to, yeah. <laughs> just give it to Shannon and Anna. And uh, they get it. They get it. <laughs> they're doing the most important ministry of the church. We're yes, just talking yeah. about ourselves. And they're doing, actually, everyone who's listening, they're doing a great thing right now. So they're doing a thing. Oh, yeah, they're doing their matching funds. Up to $40,000. Yeah. We're going to have them on the, we can talk about that. Yeah. Um, if you can go to just Google um, Eden invitation, they will pop up there. Um, they'll pop up there um, somewhere, and please give them money. They are at there. I still think they are the most important ministry in the church right right now. Yeah, and I agree. I agree. Uh, okay, so my second, uh, my third sorry, million sorry, yeah, dollars, yeah, yeah, third yeah. million dollars. Right, uh, we're talking land. Okay, we're talking land now. I, I, originally, originally, I was going to say land in what? Texas. Okay, I was going to say or Utah. Time out. 
What? Is this is this just because you've spent some time at Jaeger's Ranch um, recently, or have you actually thought this out? Well, oh, no, 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 no. I have friends that live in Utah. I have friends that live in Texas. Who I do have you friends... have that lives in oh, Utah? I can't say her name on the do podcast. I, do I know her? No. I can't huh. say her name because I don't know who it is. It's one of my wife's friends. <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> My oh, wife's been there. I my know wife... everyone you know. Like, I, know. I know. Utah. Dad? Um, no. My <laughs> wife, my, uh, Shannon's Shannon's really good friend from college, uh, lives out in Utah, and she's like, land, land everywhere. I want a place where I can see the Milky Way. That's what I want. Yeah. I In Idaho, I've I've come close yes, to that. Idaho, it's, it's, or, no, Idaho is the hotness right now. When you see, I know, I should have kind of bought land in Idaho. When you are able to see the stars the way they should be seen, my I, and I've never, it is, I've never, it is, it is. How can you not believe in God after seeing? Right, 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 right. It's, so it's, you it's got that, you got that. The stars at night are big and bright, deep in the heart of Texas. That's not true anymore because of light pollution. So the whole thing is my. I'm going to take a million dollars and I'm going to buy me some land. Probably not a million dollars worth of land. Probably like eight hundred thousand dollars worth of land, and then the rest is like solar panels, Tesla battery, power walls, you're, and. You're <laughs> and yeah, and like four tiny houses for me and my my family. I guess my family can come or my friends or whatever, right? <laughs> like whatever. I'll have a well. We'll have a sewage. Whatever you, you know septic what we tank. Both what? did not oh, say what a catching foxes studio. Luke, if, dream I, if I am making millions, yeah, that's true. That, I yeah, am not true. talking to you ever <laughs> again. I'm like finally, I don't have to depend on this. This slob for just my daily bread. Good, good riddance, good sir. <laughs> this Jack, this joke, this potsherd, patch matchwood. No, this thank you. Guy who exp- you really think that, don't you? <laughs> it's a quote from a poem where it oh, ends okay. with this potsherd, patch matchwood, immortal diamond is immortal diamond. Diamonds are forever, according to um, what's her name? Uh, how about the poet that I was quoting, Gerard Manley Hopkins? Yeah, not Madonna. Um, no, not oh, that's, what's that's her name? Girl's Nicole Kidman in Moulin Rouge. Or Marilyn Monroe that she was quoting? Di- I don't know. Who gives a shit? Who gives a shit? Anywho, $3 million. <laughs> no, that would just be to pay off politicians to leave me the hell alone. $4 million to pay off airlines to not fly over my Utah compound. $5 million. <laughs> like, I got all this stuff mapped out. $5 million, missionaries of charity, sure. So, something to make my sure. conscience okay. <laughs> Six million dollars. You know what I'm buying? I'm buying a politician that's just going to do whatever the hell I want. <laughs> Seven million dollars. I'll just give some money to build a bunch of churches to, like, you know, f- like pay off my porn addiction. Eight yeah, million dollars. Yeah. Listen, you are going to be known as a new religious order. Your religious order will be the devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. For oh dear God, please clear my internet history. Next. I'm just kidding. That joke I have used to death, but I still think it's the funniest joke I have in my arsenal. I, okay, do you want to know if, if I honestly had like another a million dollars? Like, like yeah. Luke, I would give it to Sister Miriam. I'd be like, do whatever you want. Do whatever you want because you you're want. literally the holiest person that I know. And every time you tweet, I feel guilty, but somehow better about myself. <laughs> and like motivational Mondays, I'm like, what a lame thing. Except when Sister Miriam tweets, I'll do whatever she tells me to do. You are a warm balm unto my soul. You know what's so funny? So I've heard a thing about like one problem that's very common with people who have ADD is they think they assume what other people are thinking. And they like ups- and I am like convinced that like her and Father Mike Schmidt and all the people like give her say like they don't like me. Yeah, <laughs> you know? no, they don't. Well, I talk to them. They don't. <laughs>
They're like, Luke, that slob, that poor patch matchwood. <laughs> no, thank you. No, I'm just kidding. Call this episode Poor Patch Matchwood. <laughs> you know what that from that's from Luke? It's from one of my favorite poems of all time. That nature is a Herac- L- listen to the listen to the name of this poem. That nature is a Heraclitean fire and on the comfort of the resurrection. Gerard Manley Hopkins. That's awesome. Oh, wait, can you repeat that again? That nature is a Heraclitean fire and on the comfort of the resurrection. Oh my gosh. Because the whole the whole poem is about like nature, nature's epic, it's awesome, it's always changing, it's always changing, it's always changing. And then here comes man, man's treadmile treadmire toil, the scars that man puts on the face of Mother Earth, you know, all this horrible stuff. And then he's like despairing, and then he said, and then what Light shone. I'm trying to quote it from memory here. I should just Google it. But what light shone across my foundering deck beam? I can't remember. But he says in a blast at a trumpet crash. No, I'm, I'm confusing a different poem. But basically, in the end, he's no, that's talking- a me with that you lyric. <laughs> <laughs> it really could be. Hold on. Uh, that nature is a Heraclitean. I love how Luke. Let me just say this. I started to type it into Google, and it auto completed when I typed in that nature. Because I have definitely searched this out dozens of times. So listen to this. Listen to this, Luke. You read to me Psalm 22. This is the... I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read the sad part. Oh, no. It, it's, it's, it's not that long. You want me to read the whole thing? Yeah, do it. I, Cloud! Puffball, torn tufts, toss pillows, flaunt forth, then Chevy on an air, built thoroughfare, heaven's roisterers in gay gangs. They throng, they glitter in marches. Down rough cast, down dazzling whitewash, wherever an elm arches, shiv lights and shadow tackle in long lashes, lace, lance, and pair, delightfully. The bright wind, boisterous, ropes, wrestles, beats earth bare of yester tempest creases. In pool and rut peel parches, squandering ooze to the squeezed. Dough, crust, dust, staunches, starches, squadron masks and man marks. Tread mile toil there, foot fretted in it. Million fueled, nature's bonfire burns on. But quench her bonniest Dearest to her, her clearest selved spark, man, how fast his fire dint, his mark on mind is gone. Both are in an unfathomable. All is in an enormous dark drowned. Oh, pity and indignation. Man shaped that shone sheer off to several. A star death blots black out, nor mark is any of him at all so stark, but vastness blurs and time beats level. Enough. The resurrection. A heart's clarion. Away grief's gasping, joyless day's dejection. Across my foundering deck shone a beacon, an eternal beam. Flesh fade and mortal trash fall to the residuary worm. World's fire leave but ash in a flash. At a trumpet crash, I am all at once what Christ is, since he was what I am. And this jack joke Poor potsherd, patch, matchwood, immortal diamond is immortal diamond. That's incredible. I have never made it through that poem without crying. And I just did again. (laughs) That's incredible. (sighs) Hey, this was really good. I'm glad that we did this. 